Blog Talk Radio. Welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show, sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Penelope Bennett, and I'm from Sarasota, Florida. On my host team this evening is Kim Lakin from Colorado. Kim is uh, not only a NASCA talk show host, she's also producer of our show, um, as well as a member of our, the NASCA family. So, Kim, it's always a pleasure to be hosting with you um, on the shows. This is scan number 3,301. NASCA has over 4,000 shows archived on our website, which is www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. So Kim and I wish to welcome you this evening to scan number 3301. It is Monday, October 30th, the eve before Halloween, 2023. And we do not have a very special guest tonight. We don't have a special guest tonight. tonight. The type of show is an open mic discussion. So we welcome you to call in and ask questions, anything that's on your mind. Um, that relates to uh, NASCA's work and our mission, which is, as you know, child abuse, trauma prevention, intervention, and recovery. Uh, We encourage you to call in. You can call the following number. It's area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. And Kim will meet you on our back line and welcome you into the show. I'd like to talk to you about NASCA's mission because we have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving 
prevention, intervention, and recovery. So I'll give you the number one more time. You can call in any time during the show. No experience necessary, just um, an eagerness um, to learn a little bit more about NASCA and what NASCA has to offer. The number to call in this evening is area code 646-595-2118. I see that our panel is growing. We have Philip, and good evening, Philip, and welcome. And Kim and I were, were talking before the show um, about a topic to discuss this evening. Um, but we, again, welcome your calls and your questions and uh, other uh, topics that you may uh, wish to have us address on this show. Um, so please please feel free to call in with any any topic is, is on the table here. Uh, so please uh, don't be shy. Um, uh, call in. Um, but one of the uh, possible um, subjects to discuss this evening is um, a part of recovery um, that we, we've discussed in terms of just uh, not so much progression recovery, but the ability to be in your own company, you know, the ability to, to sit with yourself, to be comfortable in your own company, um, and uh, fully present in the, abs- in the absence of anything that we may do to distract ourselves, such as busy work or uh, some of the uh, numbing behaviors. Um, that um, we have um, engaged in possibly um, in the past um, to avoid um, the moments of of being alone in our own company. So um, Kim and I were discussing that. That's a a potential topic. But Philip, I'm going to unmute your line, um, and I was going to... See, Philip, if you had any topics that you, um, or any questions or something, anything that you'd like to bring up tonight. Hello, maybe we can talk about grudges, holding grudges and how not to hold grudges. Oh, holding grudges. Yes. That is um, a great topic to discuss. And... uh, and Kim, I know you were on the back line welcoming Bill. Bill, our, our founder's on the line as well. So welcome, Bill. Um, and Kim, Philip had a great suggestion of um, the topic of holding grudges. Holding grudges. Oh, and I thought that, that was a – yeah. And Bill's lens to me as well. I, I think that's a great topic. I do too. Philip. Yeah, Bill, welcome. Thank you. Holding grudges. Hi, you guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. You know, I have a lot to say about that. I don't usually call it grudges. I call it resentments. <laughs> uh, because uh, it's deeper than a grudge. <laughs> and, more, it's, and it's more painful to me a resentment is than a grudge. So, And, and it's an attempt to um, hold the other person in more harm. You know, hold them... <laughs> It, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, resentments. I have I have had a lot of resentments in my life, and part of the process for me to stay sober is to um, make sure that 
you know, I, I made amends for my a lot of my amendments, I mean, my resentments uh, years ago, but they come back. You know, resentments reoccur. You're not, I don't, I didn't, uh, I didn't put a drywall over the hole in, in my mm-hmm. in my soul, you know. Uh, and I, I get, um, you know, reminded sometimes that uh, I'm a pretty uncomfortable being if I carry resentments. It's not hard to do. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. I need to be careful and to sort of make amends along the way, you know, as, as life goes on, like living amends. So that's a good topic, though, Phil. It's a really good topic. Yeah. I like your analogy, though, about – oh, go on, go Philip. We talked about it last week on the show, but we didn't call it grudges. We call it resentment. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody mm-hmm. at church, and uh, they said that resentments are an outward thing and grudges are an inward thing. Oh, wow. They work for that person. But, I mean, I, I think resentments are an outside, an outside thing, too. I mean, I – but I'm harming myself, and I'm harming myself, you know. So there, I don't know. I never thought of them as inside and outside, but painful, yes, and uh, you know, sort of uh, damaging of the soul. You know, <laughs> you can't really have a a light soul if you're carrying a lot of resentments. You know. I heard a quote about resentment or holding okay. resentment. Is yeah. is drinking is drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. <laughs> and dr- you drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true, and um, I'm talking too much, but resentments, um, you know, do more harm to you than the one that you have the resentment against. Way more. That's what that means. Right. That expression means, and because you know, there, you can have resentments against people; they don't even know it, much less feel it. You know, uh, they don't even know, but you know, right. and you got, uh, you know, you do a lot of damage to yourself, really. And, you know, and mm-hmm. of course, to the at least the reputation of the other person if you repeat if you're going around repeating it. So, I'll shut up now. Thanks for so, No, no. We we welcome the discussion. Trust me. Please keep talking. No, we of course we value all the input. Um, so we know that holding grudges, whether it's within, you know, in, intrinsically, extrinsically, we know that yeah. that the, the behavior is 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 damaging. It is it is a self-inflicted wound, if you will. Uh, so, what is the antidote? Uh, well, let me say before I go further uh, that I don't consider it a self-inflicted wound. I mean, I do consider it a self-inflicted wound. It hurts me, not the other person. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's also unnecessary. I just do it to myself. You know, it's it's really easy to do. As, as I get angry and I hold a, a grudge, okay, hold a grudge or a resentment, uh, it, you know, I, I think it does take some work to get rid of it. Uh, what it what it takes is um, 
First, you have to identify it. In fact, that's one of the steps in the, you know, a twelve-step program. You have to, you have to deal with re your resentments. Actually, three or four steps that are in a row, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. where you have to write them down first, and uh, you have to figure out what what resentments you have. And when I first did it, I had to. I went through my whole life up until that point, which I was about thirty something when I did it. And um, I wrote down everything I could think of that was a resentment that, you know, uh, I, ex I was experiencing. They're, they're, they're living things, you know, when you hold a resentment, you're, you know, it's, it, it's, it's burdening you more, more and more and more with each resentment you have. Over time, though, it's, it gets really painful because you don't, you know, you don't see any way out. So anyway, you, I I was instructed to list all of my uh, resentments, and I did it. Uh, some people did it like in in the form of a autobiography, but mm -hmm. I didn't see it as being like that. I, what I did was I listed all the resentments on scrap paper <laughs> that I as I walked around my life for a few days. And, or in a little notebook or something. And then and when I wrote it down, I just forgot about it. And then I went to the next thing, and when I thought of it, I wrote it down, and I forgot about it. Well, I ended up with quite a few things in this little book. <laughs> uh, and I went I went to, and sat down uh, at a certain point, and I started writing out the resentments in a chronological order because I, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, um, kind of that way. <laughs> uh and I started with the earliest resentments I could think of and came all the way up till that day. Uh, and that, that was half of my, in, my inventory. We call that inventory, we talk about inventory, resentment inventory, uh, where it was the, the name of the person, place, thing, or situation in the first column. And the second column was what it was, but just a few words, because I knew what it was. And a few words to describe which resentment this was. And then the third was what it affected in me. Now, I did these, I did the first two columns all the way down, and then I made a third column and a fourth column, did the third column all the way down, which was what it affected in me. So uh, my feeling of blah, 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 usually, or my sense of myself as a blah, 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 whatever it was, uh, it went in the third column, and the fourth column was simply uh, a fear, because I, I recognized that all of my, well, it wasn't me that recognized, I was told I could recognize it if I wished, <laughs> that all resentments, resentments have a fear attached to them. When I wrote down the fears in this fourth column, that's when I saw the pattern that was running my life. Because over and over and over, the fears I was experiencing repeated, all different ways, but they were the same resentments, like fear of financial insecurity, fear of looking bad, fear of my sexuality, fear of women, fear of my father, fear of, you know, and they repeated over and over and over because there were a lot of resentments. Um, so the first column would say, uh, losing... Uh, I got fired from a job, let's say. Uh, and first, first I'd put the company name, you know, ABC Company. 
And then the second column, I got fired from a job. Third column, my financial insecurity. And fourth column, I fear that I wouldn't get another one. You know, <laughs> I'd never get another job opportunity like that or something like that. Uh, and and um, when I did that, man, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting because a lot of the resentments were simply repetition of the same resentments over and over mm-hmm. and over. And that's where I saw the patterns, like I say, that were running my life. The patterns of fear were running my life. So I had to try and give up the fear, obviously. I, that's when I recognized what they were uh, pretty clearly. And the next thing I had to do was to, um, you know, try to deal with them. Well, that's that's a whole other story, but that's enough for me to say right now. I, that's, that's how I did it, though. I had to identify them first. And... Um, and I actually came up with that as a process. Now, that's not completely original for me. Uh, I've, I've seen something like it uh, before. Uh, and, I, again, I just didn't, I didn't feel like doing it uh, like an autobiography. I mean, some people were so hung up about their resentments that they, they had to, they waited until they could find the right color pen. You know, there was every excuse in the book for not doing your resentment in the story. And I, I just, I wanted to get on with it. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the process I, I selected. Made sense to me. Well, that's, that's very informative. I like that um, because it actually, you know, forces your brain to, in an exercise, to basically... Um, you can put it into context on paper. There's like a saying. There's a, there's a, oh, a saying somewhere that said nothing really becomes true until it's put in writing. I don't know if that's true or not. But there is something about the act of putting something down on paper that just yeah. does sort of transforms the thought. Um, and I like that. Yeah. Um, thank you for for sharing that practice because there, I can see how simple, yeah simpleness. Uh, Clarity, simple clarity that occurs when you write them. And I, I deliberately did not make sentences. I made little phrases that I knew what mm. they meant. You know, that's mm-hmm. all. That's what was important, and I understood what it meant. But no sentences were on this. It was just the four columns, for, and each each resentment that I identified had all four columns. So, you know, but thank you for saying yeah. that. I think it works, and I rec- I've recommended it to people. And it works for them too. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you identified a pattern because you said there was a lot of similarity um, in the resentment, um, and you know I think that's part of the process of recovery too is identifying patterns and then and then addressing them. It just sounds like you were able to identify a pattern, if you will, exactly. by the process you used with your resentment. That's that's. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. And Philip, what what were your thoughts on what Bill just shared? Well, um, sometimes I write. Well, I'm going to be doing my steps actually in AA, and I believe that Mr. Bill was mm-hmm. sharing about steps. So um, I just started yesterday with Gabriel from my meeting. And today was my first day working on my steps. Oh, that's wonderful, Philip. That's huge. Thank you for sharing that. 
Congratulations. No problem. Well, thank, thank you for sharing it. Like, uh, I hope you said. I, I, and, of course, the process that I used did come from Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of what I, my recovery comes from there. They simply applied the same material that I, I'd been recommended to apply um, to drinking and using of drugs both to um, the trauma I'd experienced as a kid, no, as, as, a, as, a, as an adult the trauma that occurred from the sex abuse I experienced as a kid that I experienced as an adult. That makes sense? Did I say that right? <laughs> oh. um, and, you know, the, um, the tools, the tools are, are always there. So, but the first thing, like Penelope said, is you have to identify what the problem is. You have to put it down. And then you see the guy. Hello, ladies. Hi, honey. <laughs> well, and I think that takes a level of commitment, don't you, though, Bill? I mean, and Philip, you just said, you know, you're you're going, you're init- you're starting this next step, um, in uh, in your program, and I think that that's a milestone. That's that's something to be celebrated. I think to get to that point, to be willing, you know, to Engage in that exercise. You know that is um, that le- that commitment. I think that that's that's really great um, because for me, whether it's addressing resentments or dealing with resentments, it's actually being ready to take those take those steps. Some of those steps are courageous because we're going somewhere. You know, as Bill said, you hadn't even gone there before. You know, you hadn't gone to actually put these things on paper, and it's it's. It's courageous and it's brave and it's um, it's kind of going out of your comfort zone and, and doing something different. So I commend you for that. It's a part of recovery. It's a big part of recovery. Miss Felicity, have you done AA or NA? No, I have not. No, I haven't. Um, because my addiction was really... Um, I was even... I think I was even too busy. I mean, I was just kept myself so busy. My mind was so occupied. I that was my drug is never being still. I was busy. Busy was my drug because the busier I was, the more occupied my mind was. Um I didn't have I that was my numbing technique. And there's really no I don't know if there's a program for that. So um, Oops, there's there's overdoes it anonymous. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of that. Um, <laughs> but I think I think for me, Philip, the program, my program was, and when I started my program, it was really cognitive behavioral therapy. It was um, weekly sessions with a psychologist that, and I wonder went very intense um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and that was, um, he took me to the, through a series of steps, um, that I'm sure were very, very aligned and similar to the steps of, of AA and, and the steps in recovery. Um, but it was just done in a different format and a different, uh, venue, if you will. 
um, and within a different context. But I, I, I think that, you know, I know, Bill, I know that I know the steps, um, and it's, there's, there's a lot of parallels um, to my, the program that I have been engaging in for the last six years um, that I'll be on for the rest of my life because it's recovery. Right. Well, the big but deal Kim, about where, where, where um, he is now, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll just say this quickly. No, it's good. But Philip, where you are now, you deserve a lot of credit. It's, it's terrifying some, for some people as they approach the first time doing each of the steps. <laughs> it's terrifying. And, uh, you know, you, you do them in order because you kind of have to complete one in order to, in order to understand why you're moving on to the next or to be the foundation for the next or sometimes it's for the next two or three, but you can't you can't skip them. You can't skip around, you know, and have it be effective. So you deserve a lot of um, credit for the courage it's taken to get this far, Philip. And, and congratulations. Thanks, Mr. Bill. Of course. I agree. I agree with Mr. Bill. <laughs> you, because I think it takes a lot of. Um, well, awareness, self-awareness, and a lot of people don't want to go there. They don't want to see what's wrong with themselves. You know, they're, it's easier to just kind of blame it on everybody else. And I find myself questioning that. And I have, am I doing that in this situation? And that takes a self-aware person. I mean, people that are not going to ever change can't do that. They can't even start to process being self-aware. And so that's a huge step to just doing that. I think my, I would agree with Penelope, I think, especially raising my kids, it was just stay busy, be wherever they are, make sure they're safe. Because all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. That was my life's goal, <laughs> you know, and But not just be a mom, but be, you know, a present mom, I guess, because I didn't have that. And um, make sure that I take them to church because I went to church without my parents. And so I that was important to me to be able to be there for my kids, too, because I remember a lot of questioning things about religion because I was seeing such a contrast. And so I just wanted to. I could probably use some help now, though. I could, <laughs> I could use some more help now. <laughs> Just kidding. Find us. <laughs> Kim. Thank you. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody does it alone. We all need guides, right? <laughs> and, uh, and a guide yeah. for me is, well, we, we call them sponsors in any way, but you know, the person that leads is hopefully somebody that's been there themselves and and is sharing what they learned, you know, uh, which is why we always want trauma-informed counselors, you know, of whatever stripe they are. We, we, I want them to know what the heck they're talking about, and not just from book learning, you know, but from uh, having lived it themselves, I guess. You know, uh, they're much more knowledgeable and Caring, frankly, and they know how hard it is for a person to get 
straight, you know, and get get their life, you know, off of the resentments that have meant so much. They're precious. Resentments are precious. <laughs> really, we're, we're afraid. What if I give up my resentments? What's going to happen to me? <laughs> Where will, who will I be then? They really define us in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating process, but I needed somebody that knew what they were doing. I wasn't going to just latch on to someone I didn't, I, I didn't trust, you know, and I trusted the people who had uh, been through the, pro- the process that I was approaching um, before me, you know, been there before me. We do that here for each other. And this is another mm-hmm. of the premises of NASCA that comes from my experience as a 12-step person is, you know, a lot of 12-step groups, um, you are, you are, uh, you're free, you're encouraged to go to people who are further along than you are and ask for their help and their advice. And what did you do when such and such? And, you're, and then you share your story, uh, eventually little pieces of it at first, and, and folks will identify with those pieces, and they'll come over to you, and they'll say, you know, I heard you say that, and i, I got to tell you, it's, you sound just like me, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of identity then really quickly when you're willing to share. Of course, when you, can't, when you don't share, it's all inside. <laughs> and uh, it, that's why we have to, we have to be given, uh, I think, uh, the steps. What the steps are are guideposts, you know, along the path of recovery. Uh, and, but they can be applied to anything, you know, uh, any problem, any uh, addiction, any uh, behavioral problem, you know. Um, they, they make they, to me they bring a lot of clarity. Yeah. So let me ask a question. Because for me, sometimes I feel like the lines become blurred. Because I wouldn't say, gosh, do I hold any resentment? I suppose that I do. But when I'm saying where do the lines, you know, the lines uh, become blurred. So I have some anger. um, And more of it's not, I'm never able to actually get angry at um, those who hurt me. But I do feel anger that it happens at all, that abuse happens. What uh, sometimes disgust, disappointment. So for me sometimes these things, I feel like the lines blur a little bit because I have these emotions, um, but I feel sometimes that they're overlapping. Maybe a better word is not blur, but overlapping. Because there is anger. There is disappointment. There is... um, um, uh, there's another word that I just used. Um, uh, disappointment. And um, anyway, I just feel that um, I'm not sure where one ends and where one begins. Um, because I feel like it's all there. And and with respect to the anger, um, for me, I know I was told in therapy, you know, you got to get angry. Um, at those who hurt you, um, I don't know why. I haven't been able to do that, but I have felt anger that children are harmed, that people are hurt, that abuse exists, um, and that 
um, it continues. Um, it's cyclical and then it continues. Um, so I'm just curious is, if anybody else has had this, um, I guess, um, in a phenomena of just, you know, feeling like it's hard to draw a line, you know, and sometimes it's even hard to identify um, which feeling it actually is. If it's resentment or anger or disappointment. Yes, Penelope. Sometimes I feel that way. This is Philip. Mhm. Yeah. Wait for Kim to share because I don't want to dominate Kim. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I. I feel it all. I think it is a mixture of everything, and for sure. Yeah. And then when, if you're not able to process it, and this is you know, what I learned in counseling, if you're not able to process it, then you just kind of get stuck there. And a lot of that not able to processing happened in, you know, my childhood, too. And so I can see... Yeah, I can see where I'm a little bit stuck. There's a little bit of resentment. It's not the way that it should have been, you know, life or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything, too. I feel, ever, I feel it all right now. <laughs> okay, I'm not good at sharing tonight, Bill. Go ahead. You can You're share. You're not good at sharing? Yeah. You're very good at sharing. <laughs> I know. I was talking to Bill earlier. We were talking about that. <laughs> counselors, that's exactly what Bill said earlier, was counselors being trauma-informed because I think also it doesn't help. It, it kind of puts you back when you're going to somebody who doesn't want to try and understand where you're coming from. They just want you to get better and fix it. Right. Well, I don't. I don't think it's the fault of the counselor who doesn't have their own life experience that they don't have their life experience. I'm not right. asking them to go out and get it, <laughs> but I'm just saying that yeah. for me, um, I want to know that the person that I'm being led by, you know, and being um, instructed by, and being and being given tools by, um, knows what they're talking about because of their own experience and, and book learning. I mean, the book learning is important too. Again, if you, you, you can lead a group, but if, if you don't, if you don't have the own experience, your own experience of what the group is talking about, it's not going to be the same group. You know. Uh, so now here's the other thing is I think fear and, and resentment go together. I mean, fear and ang- anger and, and fear. I'm sorry. Go together. I think it's um, uh, it's uh, it's it's quite common that you know there's a there's an anger for every fear too. And the angriness is like I said, you call it a fear or an anger, but you know the fear of um, financial insecurity. I'm angry because why should I have to work? Why can't I be you know born rich? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I um, Why do I have to study? You know, I'm angry about that. I just want good grades. 
<laughs> to me. It's just on and on and on, same kind of phenomenon. Well, I thank you for giving some examples of that, Bill, because, you know, I know that one of the things, and I don't know if I have resentment, this is where I feel, you know, the, the, the lines become blurred, more that I have um, disappointment um, in terms of when I think about how much trauma and the trauma that starts at an early age and the impact of the abuse, um, how much um, my brain suffered and that I, you know, my own uh, learning disabilities that came as a result of the trauma, um, struggling in school, um, really not reaching my full potential, the ability to not be able to reach my full potential, um, uh, until I began the process of recovery, for me, you know, I think about what could have been. Um, and I can't, you know, I can't erase the clock, and I'm very grateful that I have had the opportunity to go through the reco- recovery because that's been a gift. Um, but to me, sometimes, you know, the, the line is blurred between it's not really a, um, a grudge or resentment as it is more of a regret and uh, disappointment, if that makes sense, um, of what, it's, I guess, and it's grief, of grieving a loss of what could have been, um, the potential that was lost, the years that was lost, the time that was lost. I think it's pretty common, though, to be disappointed in ourselves. You know, I, I, I nobody does life perfectly. Actually, that's not true. I've seen some people, I can't believe how, <laughs> how gifted they are. <laughs> but most, no, no one in our category, you know, uh, does their life perfectly. Um, and that's trauma, is being upset with not being able to do things better. Even when it makes sense to do it better, we don't do it. We resist it, you know. Uh, so I'm... Um, I'm 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 identifying with what you're saying, and you, mm-hmm. you know if you if you use the kind of the um, common most common type of abuse a child can have, um, maybe it's maybe it's the father that abuses the the child. That's that may be the most common. I don't know, but you know that's you can't do much about it because your father is like ten times bigger than you when you start when it starts. You know. But you can have that resentment forever, you know. And there's nothing you could have done about it. And when your father does it at that early age, then you're you grow up with the uh, the pattern of behavior that you know you'll repeat over and over uh, with other maybe authority figures. And each one of them, when you have the experience, is another resentment. It's not the same resentment; it's another resentment. That's why I. I tried to think about all the people that I had a resentment of. It's not just the first person. It's all the people that I had it of. And usually it was because my pattern of behavior, um, you know, fit into their, my, my, my illness, let's say, fit into their patterns of behavior, put it that way. Uh, and um, so it was really hard for me to break them. That's what you have to do in the end. Uh, 
uh, yeah, for you. That's, that's the work, that's right? The, that's what you strive for. Sorry, yeah, that's what yeah. the work is. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, yep. I don't know, Kim if, Kim, if you wouldn't mind checking in. We have a new caller, area code 931. I don't want to bring them on unless they want to be brought on. I don't know, Kim, if you can. That's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm in the studio no problem. Um, so I didn't mean, mean to interject, but that you know that that's the work, right? That's that's what you know what Philip had just shared. He's he's you know um, embracing and and going into a different, uh, starting a new step of a, you know addressing um, resentments slash grudges, and I that's that is courageous because it's uh, you're going out of your comfort zone and you're you know, um, exploring and identifying and, and then addressing. Um, and that's all, that's the work. And it's, it's worthwhile work, um, but it's definitely oh, yeah. work. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Mr. Bill, I have a question so, for you. Okay. Make it easy, okay? Okay, I'll say, <laughs> um, We said that we have a way of knowing, doing things, to do things the better way, but we don't do it. Why do you think we don't do it the better way? Why do you think we, we take the easy way? We, we, we do things the better way? We should do things the better way? Is that what you're saying? Like two minutes ago, you said uh, that we have a way of not doing things the better way. Um, why do you think we we don't choose a better way? Okay, well, it's it's like um, let's see, let me think, think think of an example. Uh, it's like learning something um, in a broken way. You know, if you learn something in a broken way and you keep using that broken way, that's what you're going to live with. You know, it's better to obviously to learn something, how to do something without the brokenness, but it's really tough for us because the resentment itself is a brokenness. I mean, we are doing this to ourselves. Uh, we're harming ourselves because it's, uh, it, when, once we have it, it's easily repeated with somebody else and then somebody else and somebody else. So that's why it becomes a pattern. But um, you, you can even know what the better way would be and, be, and not be willing to do it. In fact, that's common. You know, you you can be um, you can be mindful of the fact that gee, if I did it like that, it'd probably be better. But I I just don't I don't know. I could also you know I could also fall through the cracks because it's something new. I just assume assume do the stuff I know, you know the the, the actions I know. Um, <laughs> but we keep doing the same actions over and over and over, expecting different results, right? That's the, one of the expressions for Penelope, right? <laughs> and what that's called is insanity. Right. <laughs> Taking the same actions over and over, expecting different results. Because if you take the same actions, you're going to get the same results. So, you know, this is what we, what we eventually learn, hopefully, is that a different behavior will produce a different result. Will it be better? Hopefully, I can't guarantee it. In fact, it's scary to take to do you know different kinds of behavior. You're you're not sure that it's going to work. You know, so what if this guy says it works? You know, it might not work for me. <laughs> and we we have a lot invested in our resentments, a lot. 
<laughs> they are us. I don't know. Did I answer your question? I don't know if I did. Yes. I did? Okay. All right. You know, we're, we're talking about holding grudges and resentments. And, you know, one of the things that I was um, uh, counseled to do in the recovery process was as I began to start, you know, speaking of the abuse for the first time, and, you know, Bill mentioned this, you, you have to bring it up and out and get it out. And um, the suggestion was, Start writing it down. Start writing it down in a journal. Start identifying it. And then what I identified, I discussed in my sessions. And then the next step was, and I'm getting the, the resentment and grudge part here, so bear with me, was, okay, now, let's, why don't you name what happened to you and address it, and we've talked about this before. Those of us have talked about writing letters. Write your abuser a letter, you know, naming what happened. Talk about what happened. Talk about the way it made you feel. You know, talk about um, uh, how you've, you know, gone through the process of doing the work and and going to therapy and, you know, what you've learned from um, naming what happened to you. Talk about how you're doing you know, and talk about your future goals and make it, you know, I had a, there was something positive written at the end of a letter. But for me, I get, you know, and, and I'm, what I'm sharing is one of the tools that I used was um, in terms of bringing it up and naming it and writing it down and going through a process. Um, I think that was a way to help not completely eliminate anger and resentment, but it was a way to um, deal with deal with the um, you know the heinous things that had happened to me, the things that um, could have caused me or were causing me anger, the things that could have caused resentment, and to put it in writing, to put it in the form of a letter, but also to send that letter. I think that that was a big part, a big the scariest part wasn't as scary to write it down and to write it in a format that I just discussed. The scary part was actually sending it to the intended recipient and making it real. Um, but for me, in terms of going through, that's an exercise that I did over and over and over. My family was sick of getting letters. I mean, I didn't give them too many letters. I think each person got one letter, maybe two letters, very thoughtfully done over a long period of time on my end before they were ever sent out. Um, but that's, that is something that I used to help me work through. Um, and it was kind of like one, one, you know, one issue, one person at a time, um, if you will. So I'm just sharing that is something that worked for me. Um, and maybe that's why, because I asked one time, why don't I feel this bolus of anger? And the response was, well, in, in all the writing, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's like when, you know, you don't want to have a big earthquake. You want the fault, you know, to let off really small little earthquakes so that all the, you know, pressure under the fault just starts to release over time. 
apparently writing, keeping a dialogue going, writing the letters was kind of met that analogy of slowly, you know, releasing a little bit of it um, um, in more of a methodical way. So I'm just sharing with you something, a practice that I started and, I, and I've done for about the last six years, something that did help me. Um, and it's just something that for me that's just ongoing. And it's not perfect, but it's, it's kind of kept me on a trajectory, if you will. Thank you for sharing that, Ms. Penelope. Oh, you're welcome, Philip. So I'd be interested in, in how often the letter that you wrote resulted in the person that received it changing their behavior. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or even recognizing it at all. Sometimes they just get pissed off. and they, How dare you say that about me? <laughs> but anyway, you know, the point is that I think what we want to do is we want to change their, we want them to change their behavior so that when they, you know, when when we interact with them the next time, they don't do, come from the same place. Right. I think that's right. What yeah. Exactly. You know, and what I realized, though, is that it was an invitation for them to accept the truth. Does that make sense? It was an invitation for them to accept the truth, to maybe identify a pattern of their own, because we know that abuse is cyclical, cyclical, right? Uh, but it's, right. an, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to um, accept the truth and to start a dialogue. Because we talk about silence. We talk about silence in families. We talk about silence being an enabler of the cycles to continue. So it's an invitation to break the silence. Um, and I would just, so you're asking me how many of the, the letters were successful. Um, It had varying degrees of success. Um, those that are do not want to address the truth and would rather just hold that truth so sacred that they're willing to do anything to keep the silence going. Um, yep. You can't change somebody's. Um, you can't force somebody into recovery. You can't force somebody right. into acknowledging the truth. So um, to me, the result didn't, I mean, I was hopeful. You know, you always hope that someone will accept an invitation. But to me, um, the victory was in the courage to be able to extend the invitation. So I think it depends on how you define success. Um, I am now in a there were five in my family of origin, but my father passed away, so there are four remaining, my mother, my brother, and my sister. I am still the only one. So I have been very much alone despite the letters. And they're beautiful, well-written, respectful letters. I'm proud of them. I, you know, can look at myself in the mirror and even after writing and sending one six years ago and be completely at peace with what I wrote and what I sent out. And then, once you put something in writing, it's there forever. Um, but um, I can't force anybody to change. But on, I will make a note to say that in some of these letters, I even wrote a letter to a little girl, you know, a little girl within myself, 
um, I have shared letters with some of my nearest and dearest, my closest friends. And what the beautiful thing is, is that in me sharing my story and in me sharing that part of myself and some of my letters in that context, I've seen some of my friends start their own journeys and make changes in their own lives. So I would say, again, it, just, it depends on how you measure success. I didn't know I would be reaching people beyond my family um, and outside of my family because that was never my intent. Of course, it's family work, right? We're talking about abuse as a child within the family. But that, is, that was um, an unexpected result of, of writing those letters. So, um, But to answer your question to the people that they were, you know, to those that were involved in the childhood maltreatment, um, no, there hasn't been much change, unfortunately. In my immediate family, now extended family um, that have observed from afar and have been pretty, some of them have, have started their own recovery. So it, it has extended, in diff- I guess, in the family in different ways. But when it comes to the family of origin, no, that has been not, it has not happened, no. Right. Well, because, you know, you said, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have, you really don't have the power to change somebody else. You barely have the power to change yourself. That's my experience. I mean, it was really hard to change myself, but that's where I got results because nobody was going to change for me. And even if they did, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help me. The resentment's there. The the pain is there. The learned experience, the learned bad experience was there. So, um, but I, I um, so, you know, my approach was slightly different. I tried to, um, I tried to recognize in myself where the broken pieces work. You know, it takes two, right? I mean, there's, there's no such thing as a person taking an action uh, on someone, on a child, unless the child, you know, reacts to it. And if we mm-hmm. if we get used to it, we're always in fear, you know, of, of everybody, <laughs> almost. Um, yeah. So anyway, when you do an amends, when you do a sorry, when you do a resentment list, um, you know what's coming behind it that scares you is the next big step, which is making amends. Making amends? They did it to me. Yeah, but making amends because there is some responsibility in most of the resentments that we have that we have we have played um, but that that's why as I say this uh, all the steps precede the steps that are going to be hard to do you know hard until we resolve the issue that that, that the, the early step you know brings up so we'll never accept our or uh, character defects without um, kind of an examination of whatever comes before them. Because I don't want to fix this. I don't. I mean, I don't want to make amends to the people that have abused me. You know, how dare how dare they do this? You know, but it's uh, so common in our um, experience in, in life's experience that you know it, it probably. It could have been somebody else if it wasn't the person that did it to me. Yeah, to be honest with you. So um, it wasn't. It was the it was the particular person. But 
I, I didn't come I didn't come to my healing with the insistence that they get better before I could heal. Mm-hmm. It was it was going to be me, and only me. If if nobody else moved, that would be okay because I could still barely fix me. I could change me. Right. But it's it it would not be my insistence that they change that would do it. Well, you know, it was I don't know if this is a um, a resentment for getting over a resentment, if you will. But in talking yeah. about taking accountability and talking about taking, you know, accountability, talking about doing the work and talking about making the changes. Um, and I don't want to scare anybody off because, um, it's, again, recovery has been the biggest gift in my life and the best thing that I've ever done for myself um, and, and for my family. Um, but also, if you're going to, if it's a popularity contest that you're after, you're probably not going to win. Um, because addressing patterns and making change, um, I, um, that's tough. That can be tough on people too. Um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call it making amends. I mean, I guess you can make amends for, um, as a lot of children are, you're perfectionistic, you're, um, hyper uh, vigilant, over-functioning, I carried everybody's burdens, I fixed everybody, you know, I was, uh, you know, um, you know, I was doing all the heavy lifting in the family, you know, I was, I was carrying everybody's burdens and then some, um, and so um, part of, I guess, making amends was really learning how to mind my own business, if you will, um, and uh, and not over functioning and not being hyper vigilant and those are those are characteristics of of children individuals that have been through um, abuse and, and trauma um, and so I will say too that in, in that process Bill and I don't know if you found the same or if anybody else um, that wishes to contribute has found the same but um, when you do address patterns and go through change um, there are change back reactions and um, and uh, I uh, you know. I have changed, thankfully, because I have it's, it's self work. Um, but it's it's uh, some people don't like change. Some people don't like it. And if you're looking for approval, you may not find it. And Bill, I don't know if you found that or not, but I or, or Kim or Philip, but I certainly did. Well, for sure. I, mean, I, I don't think a lot of people don't want to change. They don't want to change, you know. <laughs> they want to get. They want to feel better, but they don't want to change. To change to feel better. That's what I learned. <laughs> you can't go on with the same kind of self, you know, uh, your own behavior over and over and over. And, and that's what I say. Expect different results. So what's got to change is something in my behavior. Uh, because if this, the more I do the same pattern, the more I get the same thing. But if I change the pattern a little bit, uh, there's a possibility that, you know, the, my life will change too. Now, I, I know it's difficult for some people to hear that 
um, making amends is part of the process for me, but it um, it really was true that um, if I looked at, it actually comes from the inventory that we talked about. And you can do different inventories on different things, but the, let's say the resentment inventory, which is the first one you, you do. Um, there may be a resentment for almost every one of the, I mean, uh, 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 an amends for every one of the resentments that you have, not for the behavior that they did to you, but for the behavior I found that I did to them, especially as life went on, I would I would really harden my heart against a person, and I would use their what they did to me as a illustration of bad behavior, and I would I would condemn them to the devil and so forth. I, I did all kinds of things that I regretted, and it had nothing to do with what they did to me, except it was a reaction to it. Uh, and that's what I made amends for, not what they did to me, but what I did back to them later. You know, as a result, maybe. Uh, I, I wanted to clean my side of the street, in other words, and um, that that went pretty deep. I I made an amends to an institution where I had been abused over a number of years by going back to a reunion, and uh, it was the only time I've ever gone back to a reunion at the school, uh, and being amongst some of my classmates and others that were in, in the school when I was there. And when I was about to leave, I didn't feel like I had done the amends. I mean, the reason I went was because I wanted to make amends. So I I uh, called on the phone, because uh, this, this was a religious institution, and there were monks, which are like priests of a special kind, <laughs> uh, who lived there with, the, with us. And there were maybe 200 of them or more on the campus lived in this monastery, I called one of them that had never been a part of the problem I'd experienced, and uh, he, he knew who I was, and he came down, and um, I walked around the, one of the gardens with him and explained why I was there, and I said, I'm here because as part of the process of getting, uh, uh, getting get in, being in recovery, uh, you know, they have this thing called making amends, so I, he said, well, do you want to talk to me about the, the people that did stuff to you? I said, no, not at all. I want to talk to you about what I did to them and to, the, and to this place where we were walking around, the, you know, the institution itself. Because I felt that I had done damage to the reputation, let's say, of the school itself, of the monastery, of the order. Uh, I, I had, at least early in my recovery, you know, assumed that, Everybody in the order was responsible. Uh, I also had re had re had assumed that, uh, in my case, it happened with clergy, that every priest was a was a uh, molester. You know, I really felt that way. Uh, every um, you know, and every priest was probably was probably gay, and I would, and I I really was pissed off at the gay community. Later, I found out it wasn't. But I, that's how I felt. Um, I wasn't I wasn't pissed off at the gay community. I was pissed off at anyone in the gay community who was also a pedophile. You know that's different. <laughs> uh, and uh, same thing with priests. I wasn't pissed off at the whole church 
or every priest because what had happened to me. But I was uh, angry and, and resentment, resentful uh, against the priests that had done inappropriate acts to me, sexual acts to me. And that's different than all priests. But I had, I had carried this, this resentment in my heart, you know, hardened my heart against uh, God, really, and the, and the place and the, and, the, and the people. So what I was making amends for is I told the Father, I don't, need, I don't need to talk about them or ask for resentment from them. I mean, ask for forgiveness for them. Um, I need to ask forgiveness for me, and I had to, and I have to make the commitment as I do so that, as best I can, I won't do this behavior again in the future. That's the resent. That's the, you know, the amends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have, to the best of my ability, gone on to. I sometimes have mentioned the place, but I don't blame the place anymore, um, and I don't, and I don't. I don't really mention the, the place, um, you know, with, with proper names. I don't use the names of the place, so forth. Because um, I'm not here to, to hurt them. I'm here to make be respons- more responsible myself, more for myself. And, and, and I actually, instead of hurting them, I want to uh, kind of repair whatever their relationship between me and the place, person, place, and thing uh, which the resentment's attached to. That's a long, long explanation. Well, I'm sorry, but it, but it does make it, it absolutely makes sense. But I think yeah. you know it, it's there is resentment, as you said, and there's anger, and you mentioned anger. Um, but don't you feel also, you know, and I think you know you also mentioned that it's a process, it's an ongoing process. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't just wipe out a resentment and it's gone forever. I mean, I think it ebbs and flows, and it's a process. It's fluid, and we work we work on it. We work through it. Don't you feel that the work that you do, you know, what you've created with NASCA and the, the ongoing commitment uh, to NASCA and the shows and all the resources um, um, uh, that you that are provided? I mean, that's also part of working through the anger and resentments, isn't it, is doing the work and giving back and creating a platform for people to come and, um, and you know, um, be assisted and know that they're not alone in their recovery. I mean, isn't that a part of, I guess, maybe funneling your anger towards a greater good? Well, when I was, um, you know, younger in recovery, um, and that's when this amendment was, that's when these amends were made. Um, I didn't think I would ever do what I what I have done, as you know. Uh, but I I saw that I could I could help individuals, or, or in small groups, and so that's what I did. Now, where I where I came with this, you know, was 25 years later. I I ended up founding NASCA. By then, I had a lot of experience, and um, mm-hmm. I had you know I had um, kept myself clean and sober, <laughs> plus relatively sane for that 25 years uh, with a lot of help from a lot of other people. But um, there are also times, Penelope, when you have resentments that are on that list uh, that you're not ready to make, and that's okay too. Believe me, there'll be a whole bunch of them that you will be able to make, 
Um, but there'll be some that you're maybe, you know, you're afraid of what um, the result would be if you tried to make this amends. So you, you put it off. You, you, you kind of make, the way you make the amends in that case is you want to make amends and you make a commitment to your higher power or whatever uh, to, to make amends when you become willing. So you kind of hold yourself in a, in a readiness when you become willing, not, not right now. I can't do it right now, but I, I know it's the appropriate thing to do. And, uh, and when I'm ready, I will, but I'm not ready right now. That's an amends in itself, you know, uh, because you have to be, I mean, you have to be sincere about it. If you, if you get to a place where you're ready to make the amends, you can make it, but you don't have to do them all at one time. I guess that's what I'm saying. And some of them are, are too big to address right now. But maybe when you learn a little more about yourself, you can. Who knows? I'm not tough on, on, on people, and I'm not tough on me. My goodness. I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm pretty delicate when it comes to stuff like this, to be honest. You know, I, I don't go charging in there. Uh, so... I'm um, I'm pretty happy with where I've come, and I and you know what you're talking about with the uh, with the when I, whatever I've learned I try to apply to uh, helping others. That's the last step, the twelfth step, mm-hmm. and it's 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 uh, it's written that having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics. And and uh, practice these principles in all our affairs. That's the twelfth step. So that's the step where, mm-hmm. you know. And again, having had an exper- having learned from the first, the next, you know, the eleven steps, <laughs> if you want. Uh, there is we we feel uh, a responsibility for each of us to, you know, try to give it away, try to help others, just like we've been helped, um, you know, for the last. 40 years now. <laughs> and uh, that's where, that's what, um, that's what it culminates with. It's not, you know, when people do, people do their program by two-stepping it. Call it two-stepping it. It's a person that comes into a, a situation and they recognize the problem and they sit around and they maybe they read some stuff and they hear some stuff shared, and they go out and try to do the 12 steps. Well, they have no experience. All they have experience in is learning something about their character defects <laughs> uh, and giving it away. That's two-stepping, and it's it's not effective. And because you don't have any you don't have anything to offer, really, pablum, whatever they said in the meeting, but you don't have your own experience. So anyway, the 12th step is where it all ends up, and that's why so many of us are engaged in, you know, passing it on. Mm-hmm. Well, and clearly you've had some incredible success with it, and in that 12th step, you've you've been able to help a lot of other a lot of people, and you've created something really unique um, wow. and special. Um, I think I've been blessed to be put in a place where I was able to, to do it. I'm not going to be here forever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but 
uh, I think it could, NASCAR could outlast all of us if we, you know, kind of dedicated ourselves to it and passed it on. You have to pass it on to other people, so it's out of freshness. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think it's just because I was blessed. There's no reason it was me that did this. It could have been anybody, you know. Um, but the fact that it, it, it is me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm pleased with myself that I, considering where I came from, Penelope, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I agree. I can say it. Oh, go on, Kim, please. Oh, no, I just I, I want to say I agree. And, you know, also to be able to continue, because like you said, we all have our doubts at times if we can really continue on or, you know, with what we're doing. And for you to still be able to give, like, all the 12-step advice stage, you know, you you really have learned and put it into practice. And then the, the show, of course, NASCA and everything that they do shows that. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be able to do it. You know, and I want to point out to people that are listening that NASCA is not a 12-step group. Uh, a lot of my experience is 12-step based because that's how I got into any kind of recovery or healing. But NASCA is really a compilation of all the things that I learned or didn't want to apply to uh, to a group that um, I didn't know what it would be, but I, I didn't want it to be uncomfortable for anybody. So if I had experience which made me uncomfortable, it's, it's not in NASCA. But if I, on the other hand, found I had experiences that was comfortable, that is in NASCA. So it really wasn't about the 12-step work. It was about the, at least in terms of the organization, uh, you know, the principle of telling people they have to do something doesn't exist, not at NASCA, because I hated being told what what I had to do. It was different when I was, mm-hmm. it was suggested to me that I could try this or I might try that. That was different. And sometimes I, I grabbed onto it and I tried it. And you know what? When it worked, it worked. But don't tell me what to do because I'll do the opposite. <laughs> you know, also, uh, you know, there were lots of groups that cost money, a lot of money, some of them. And I couldn't believe that. I said, how could a person in early recovery afford these things? I couldn't. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but AA doesn't cost anything, right? What, it, what they do is they pass a hat one time during the meeting every meeting, really, called the seventh tradition. But it, what it means is that when they pass the hat, if you have a couple of bucks or a buck, really it was a dollar, <laughs> um, and, you, and you want to donate to the meeting, you put a dollar in the thing. And most people did, but some people didn't. And you just pass the hat to the next person and so forth. It's no big deal. But that's how the organization of AA self-supports. They don't, like, like NASCA, they don't charge any fees. There's no, uh, there's no, there's, there's no fees. Um, they'll, they'll, if they have to sell something like literature or something else, they do it at their cost. They don't make any money on anything. And, and uh, 
So there's no, um, that's not an impediment to anybody getting sober, in other words. If you can, if you don't have the money, they'll give you the book, you know. Just give us you here, you know. <laughs> Pay the group back when you get it, whenever you can. That's it, you know, something like that. Um, there's no bosses. There's no ranks that you can achieve. There's no, you know, there's, there's no uh, categorizing people. If you don't get one stripe and then two stripes and three stripes, you're something like a sergeant. You just, you are who you are. And if you're ahead of somebody else in terms of having gotten here earlier or done more work, then you may have something to offer them. But there's no guarantee that you do. You don't offer it to them. They come to you and ask for it. That's how that's how they, they work. They, they might hear you share and then approach you after the meeting and say, I really liked what you said then. Uh, would you be willing to take phone calls from me? In fact, would you be willing to sponsor me? That's what they call it, sponsoring. And it, it really comes from the person that needs the help to the person who thinks they can help, not the other way around. <laughs> so, you know what I call a voluntary that, job. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go on, go on, sorry. I'm just saying they're voluntary jobs just like we do. We're all voluntary here. I'm sorry, I interrupted what you were saying. No, I was going to say, there's no fluff. It's There's no overhead. I mean, in terms of, I guess there's no, we've trimmed the fat. It's all just content, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Pretty I much. I call it like a Greek salad because I'm Greek. It's like a Greek salad. There's no lettuce. It's all just the good stuff. No lettuce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Greek salad. <laughs> And I like falafel too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I live on that stuff. But I mean, but to your point, um, and that is the beautiful thing about NASCA is there are no fees. Once you say you want to be a member, you're just a member. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. You're just in. All you have to do is be curious and willing and want to join. Um, right. And I just think that's just so wonderful. Um, I always say you're you're a member if you say you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's the acceptance. Um, it's it's an easy acceptance, and I think that that is, you know, in in the uh, difficulty of recovery and in, in the inception. For me, I found the the inception of recovery. You know, it's hard to get to that point, but once I got there. Um, it was so easy to become a member of the NASCA family, um, and that was a gift. Um, mm-hmm. When everything else seemed so difficult, that was so seamless, and it was exactly mm-hmm. what I, I needed. I, I think basically it, it, it'll work for anybody, really. If it'll work for me, it'll work for anybody. I'm not special, you know. Uh, but... The other thing about NASCA is we don't insist you do it any way at all, any particular way at all. We provide a smorgasbord of activities you can get into, of different kinds of therapies you can try, of, of, of experiences you can have uh, in recovery and so forth, and they're all valid. That's what we say. I believe they're all valid. But, uh, you know, the per- a person is encouraged not to do 
anything specific, but to look at the list of all of them and to select what they, you know, they believe might help them uh, move forward next. That's it. You know, and sometimes you'll try something and you go, no, that wasn't really good. <laughs> and sometimes you go, wow, I can't believe the experience I had. You know. Um, again, I don't, I, I don't, I resent being told what to do, that I have to do this, or I must do that. And I'm more, I'm most likely going to do the opposite thing if you put me in a situation like that. <laughs> as it, as, as my, my reaction, my resentment. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could mark it as a resentment-free program, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a resentment-free, resentment-free offering, a resentment-free organization. No grudges here. Well, think, right. There wouldn't be anything to recover from, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. These, these shows would be very short. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, Philip, did we do any justice to your question tonight? Uh, yes, um, a lot. A lot, actually. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, thank you. And thank you for... It was a great topic, so thank you for bringing that up. We oh, really sure appreciate was. appreciate you. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, thank you. So I was going to say this, Jim, that um, it sounds like you still got a little bit of rebellion in you. <laughs> I'm not going to make people tell you know tell people what to do. So no, I just. I just think it's funny. <laughs> well, they're not going to tell me what to do, and I'm not going to create something. Yeah, yeah but that's, go ahead. that's handled by by making it's 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 a little trickery, maybe. But anyway, it's it's really I hear it this way. You suggest what a person could try. That's different than telling them what to do. And I'm I'm more likely to attempt the suggested than I am to do the thing I have to do. You know, so that's what I do. I suggest this and I suggest that. <laughs> the only reason I suggest it is because it's worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so that's the difference. I still, I still, to be honest, tell people what I'd like them to try, I, you know, what, in other words, what to do in that sense, but not that they have to do it. it it's been my experience that if you do this, you probably have an, or if I do this, if I live my life this way, um, I get these kinds of results rather than the other kind. Yeah. Much easier to hear a suggestion. Well, in my um, in my trauma-informed training. Oh, sorry, Kim. No, go ahead. Um, I, I just my, said it's not a chore. Yeah. Well, in my trauma-informed training, one of the things that um, – was reiterated over and over. And one thing that I learned um, when I'm leading a trauma-informed trained class is that um, many of us in the trauma that we experienced didn't have it. There was no choice. And so, like you said, Bill, you don't want to be told what to do. And I think that that does align with not having a choice. And so making a suggestion, but also giving choices, even if they're small choices um, or giving people options, a, a menu of options, gives them the power back to feel that they have 
a say, that they have a voice and they have a, a choice and a decision in their future um, or in any particular situation. So um, just from a trauma-informed training perspective, having small choices and not being, not being given mandates um, is, is a very big right. part of yeah. um, that trauma-informed model. And uh, so exactly what you were saying, but, um, but even a yeah, small choice. Yeah, it makes choice. it more valuable. You know, the, it's your character building when you do it that way, the person that's mm-hmm. doing it. And that, right. know, that feels good. You know? Jeez, exactly. Yeah. Right, and and they have they have a voice in 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 what happens to them um, that they have control, um, which is very important. Yeah, in controlling their own destiny. Well, and let me let me just say that if if you wouldn't mind, Penelope, that. Tomorrow night is a Tuesday. It's the fifth Tuesday of the month. And what that means is whenever we have a fifth Tuesday or Thursday and we do our um, trauma-informed, if you want, uh, sharing, we, we have somebody who volunteers to do that all the time, and we have eight of them. But on the, on the night that we have a fifth Tuesday or Thursday, we need a ninth, a ninth person. So I, so I do the ninth ninth one. Uh, I do the, the fifth Tuesday or the first Thursday. There's never both on the same month. <laughs> but um, so tomorrow night I'm going uh, I'm going to be available to lead the group and um, answer questions because that's what it is. It's a question and answer night. Now I'm going to I know one thing I'm going to talk about is my recent experience with um, having to go to Make a, to give a deposition, and this has everything to do with uh, kind of you know t- telling my story in a legal sense. It's a different it's a different animal, believe me. Because um, for the first time, I got an opportunity to um, address uh, you know the church and what at least a certain part of it about behavior of one of their. Uh, members from 50-something years ago. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to talk about that because I had to fly to New York and back and in one night. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> but I do recommend getting into recovery however you can and taking it as far as you can. I don't know if this will have any effect, but it had an effect on me, so I'll tell you what that is tomorrow night. Oh, well, that is something to stay tuned for. Thank you. Thank you for all sure. that you do, and thank you for telling us about that. So that would be tomorrow night, uh, the NASCA right. show. Again, we're on five nights a week, 8 p.m. Right. Eastern Standard Time, a 90-minute show. The call-in number is 646-595-2118. Bill will be leading a discussion and talking about his experience with his deposition. Yeah, well, I want to thank everyone. On, go ahead. Oh no, go on, Bill. No, I just wanted to say I'm not I'm not going to be locked into that topic. I'll I'll answer questions about anything that somebody wants to know about, you know, or I'll just share my experience or anything somebody wants to know about. So, 
that's just one of the topics I'll talk about. I'm sorry, I'm, I'll be quiet now. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> See? No, not at all. And you're giving everybody a choice. It's not a mandate. It's just, right? There are options. Yeah. There are, <laughs> we won't pigeonhole you on the show tomorrow night. Anyone will not be. There will be choice. It will be open for them. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it turned out to be a great show tonight. I just wish to thank my co-host, my beautiful co-host, Kim. Thank you so much. Philip, thank you for calling in and for throwing us a great topic to discuss tonight. We discussed grudges and resentments. Um, so thank you very much. Bill, it's, it was great to have you on. It's um, really appreciative. Um, we have a caller who was listening in. Um, I, I will not disclose her number um, or her name, but we do appreciate the fact that you called in and asked you. You are welcome anytime, and we're just so happy that you joined us this evening. Um, for those of you that wish to know more about our organization, NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, you can find us at NASCA, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. Uh, my name is Penelope Bennis, and I just wish to thank you for being with us this evening. This has been scan number 3301. And as I always say as I sign off on these shows, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. If you see something, if you hear something, please say something, do something. It is our responsibility to take action and protect our children. Thank you all and good night. Love Talk Radio.